Hey everyone, welcome to the Higher Points Podcast. I'm Nick Sauer sitting here in the studio uh, without my buddy Nate Hyatt this time. I actually des- I decided to sign off on his time card. I gave him the day off. Um, we're actually here in the studio with Ken Connor, his two sons, Michael and David Connor. And so that takes up our four mic positions. So I asked Nate if he wanted to take the night off and he was very happy with being able to watch football and just, uh, just chill. So, uh, honored to have them on. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about like why they are here. Maybe some of that history, that story, pass that legacy on. Uh, one of the things that Nate and I have always talked about when it comes to podcasting is how the art of storytelling has kind of left our society. And that was one of the things that I was noticing today when we were at the dedication of all the different storytelling that was happening of all the different people that had been involved in the church and the things that they were doing and the things that they'd done. And and none of it I knew and none of it that the people that were there knew. And now that those stories have been told, they live on in us and that we can now pass those things down. So that's one, one of the many reasons that I wanted to get y'all on here as well. Um, and to discuss, like I told y'all with what it is to be just a, a Christian man, a Christian father, and a Christian husband in this world that is so loud telling us to be, you know, and, and trying to guide us in the direction away from that. So first things first, I just want to say thanks to everybody for, for coming on and, and doing this. I know it's kind of probably outside the comfort zone. So um, I guess first let's start, Ken, uh, kind of with you and just a little bit of your life story where you where you grew up and siblings and kind of what led you to Sterling and then I guess to kind of where we are now. Just uh... Well, I am the oldest of four. I was born in Topeka, Kansas, and we moved to Colorado uh, when I was three. Um, grew up in Colorado, moved around a little bit with my folks, graduated in 1970 from Loveland High School, uh, went off to a junior college in Sterling, Colorado, where I Met and married uh, Marlene while we lived in Chadron, finishing up going to college. Michael was born. Um, and then I started teaching. And uh, uh, in my second school at Callaway, uh, the last year we were there is where David was born. Uh, we then uh, moved a couple of different places teaching and, and uh, down to Oklahoma uh, and then uh, to Wichita. Uh, where I taught, and then I got out of teaching and uh, worked for Life Touch Studios, and then I went into the ministry, um, took the church in Sterling, Kansas. Uh, we pastored there for 18 years, um, and in April of uh, 2020, my wife Marlene suddenly passed away. Uh, I ended up resigning the church um, and uh, moved to South Carolina to be closer to Mike and his family, because David said he didn't want me down in Texas. And False. <laughs> I said Texas looks a lot like Kansas and Oklahoma, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> South Carolina yeah. does not. Yeah, and really the the weather in South Carolina fit my arthritis and some things better. So uh, moved out to uh, South Carolina, and uh, since then I've uh, been going to a, uh, the same church Mike and Tracy go to, uh, Calvary Chapel, Charleston, and uh, started, uh, uh, after about a year and a half or so, started dating and met and married my current wife, Donna. Uh, Right after we got married, I started taking training to become a biblical counselor in our church. Um, So I'm involved in doing that, as well as involved in our men's ministry and uh, just uh, 
just the activities of the church. Cool. And then, uh, Michael, so you're up next. <clears throat> All right. So as he said, I was born in Shatter, Nebraska. It's way up in the northwest corner of Nebraska. And then we moved around Nebraska for six years and then ended up in Oklahoma and then from there to Kansas and decided that I wanted to join the Air Force and fly. And so at one point, while researching the Air Force in a world book encyclopedia, I saw something the Air Force Academy listed. And it happened to be in Colorado Springs, which was only a couple hours drive from my grandparents' house. And so I asked Dad, hey, when we go out this summer, can we go down and look at the Air Force Academy? And he's like, sure. And this is when I was in like fifth grade. We looked at it and we were leaving. He's like, well, what do you think? I was like, well, that's where I'm going to go to college. And that's what I did. Then for most of my junior high and high school, I basically worked towards filling the different boxes for that. I went off to the academy in 94, graduated and got commissioned in 98 and married uh, my wife, Tracy. And then we proceeded to move around with the Air Force. Um, and then my wife actually decided to join the Air Force. She decided if Uncle Sam was going to move her all over creation, he should pay her <laughs> for said moves. Uh, and so she joined the Air Force as well. And then uh, in 2006, I elected to leave active duty and transfer to the Air Force Reserve and then uh, work in the financial management career field uh, still today, uh, kind of similar to what I did in the Air Force. Cool. And you, David? So, uh, like Dad said, I was I was born in Callaway, Nebraska, um, and then uh, they they did move me with them to Oklahoma and then to Wichita. So <laughs> that story that runs congruent. Um, <laughs> so I graduated high school uh, in Wichita uh, from West High School, and uh, on the opposite side of Michael. Did not know what I wanted to do with my life in the fifth grade. <laughs> and so, uh. You knew what to do from fifth grade on? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, I'm still figuring it out. So. <laughs> Notice how nobody around this table is arguing. With you. <laughs> <laughs> Truth is spoken. Uh, so my freshman year of college, I spent at Pittsburgh State in Pittsburgh, Kansas. And then transferred from there. Uh, well, I started dating uh, Allison my senior year of high school at West. She was a junior at Heights High School. And uh, we were set up on a blind date by a mutual friend. And then went off to college and broke up with her. And that lasted a couple weeks. And we racked up quite the phone bill over that 1997 uh, school year we, we could get into later. Uh, as, as not, as, not as bad as your brother did. <laughs> it was a combined effort I, on that one. I, I found that the other day going through some some stuff, that $800 phone bill. So so I think like all of the younger generations listening to this, they're going to be like, what? what Why is, was it that bad? Long what, is, what does that mean? Yes. You know, like I had to explain to a kid the other day that we, we'd taken into protective custody like what a landline was. He had no idea. And then what's a fax machine? I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I am getting old. You know, and, and, and it was even to the point that I knew what the uh, – um, and of course now that I want to talk about it. What were we talking about at lunch? The, oh, the mimeograph the machine. Mimeograph machine. You know, like uh, that is even lost on what's – you know, I, the only reason I know it's because of MASH. I've never actually used one. <laughs> but the only reason I know of it's because of MASH. But anyway, didn't mean to derail. No, you you're good. Um, so – uh, Allison went to Abilene Christian University to pursue her education, and uh, I followed her there. 
in the spring of 99 is when I transferred to ACU and finished my degree uh, in four years with five universities and colleges on my transcript. So I'm pretty <laughs> proud of that. <laughs> yeah, Mike only has one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I got two. Actually, three. Oh, well, yeah, now we hear other stuff, yeah. 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 Just undergrad, though. You're just trying to catch up with uh, <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> just trying to be like your brother. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, after after Pitt State, well, and I had taken classes. I had some dual credit from Kansas Newman College, which is now Newman University. Um, and so that's two. Then my first semester, sophomore year, I went to Butler County and then transferred to ACU. And then while at ACU, I did not have enough time to get my science, uh, chemistry and so I took it at um, Cisco Junior College. So five schools, four years, got a degree. What did the degree, degree end up being in? Uh, Bachelor of Science. In? Exercise Science. Okay. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Non-coaching, non-teaching. Uh, I really thought uh, at that point I was, I was wanting to go to physical therapy school. Um, I did not – I was not interested in coaching or teaching. Um, I had lived the life of a teacher's kid, um, and that was cool to do one time. I didn't want to do it again. So, uh, so I, uh, I, and that was the plan the whole, whole time, but I had done an internship with a physical therapy, um, and really enjoyed that. And the problem that I ran into, and this was really just circumstance of, of how time and place hits. When I graduated um, in 2001 was right at the beginning of the PT programs expanding into a doctorate program. And what accompanied that was um, the, um, the how it was, there just weren't enough spots for the kids that wanted to do it. And so there were the options to go to school were so um, competitive um, the Four point. I mean, if you didn't have a four point oh in your master or in your degree courses, you you didn't even need to waste your time. So my and, and five schools on the transcript probably didn't help. And we, yeah, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this guy can't commit. We're not putting him in the program. Uh, so yeah, my three four didn't uh, didn't cut the mustard there. So um, that's better than my. I literally my first year grad. Or I shouldn't say graduated. I finished my first freshman year of college with a point six seven grade point average. No joke. No it's joke. down in the square root club. <laughs> you know what that is? It's when uh, the square root of your GPA is higher than your GPA. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So uh, after after college, uh, still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was actually uh, started working um, at the university there at ACU as a development program manager and would run – uh, five class reunion campaigns, fundraising campaigns for the school tied to class reunions. Um, so the, the most interesting thing about that job was my hire date. So I graduated in May of 01, got married June of 01, hired September 10th of 2001. So uh, yeah. I walked into my second day of my first job post-college and our administrative assistant was on the phone with her husband. Some plane just hit a building in New York. So, um, pretty, pretty impactful, uh, start. And for our office of fundraising, I mean, it completely changed every, 
you know, we, we shut our calling center down for about 18 months. We had to rewrite every piece of, uh, mailing that came out of our office. Um, we, uh, in our office, actually, we didn't ask for any money from our alumni for over a year. Um, the major gift officers did any, any of the direct asks. So it was a, it was a wild time to enter into adulthood for lack of a better term. So. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, you're still working in hospitals in one way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, I, so what did you what did you end up actually like? So, so after everybody that's listening, what do you do for? So, uh, I kind of bounced around and did a few things, uh, and then about uh, I I did some decorative concrete work. I ran a furniture store for a while, but uh, 14 years ago, I started my own business um, named Vintage Craftsman. We did uh, mainly residential remodeling, did some commercial remodeling, um, and that was uh, extremely blessed in that uh, endeavor uh, in every way. Um, and uh, two weeks ago, I just accepted a new position with Bacher and Associates there in Abilene, Texas, uh, and I'm the new director of field operations for Bacher. So um, it was a great run of 14 years, and... Um, over that time, learned a lot of things, and this is, um, as I said it a couple times to different people, it, it's really the perfect exit strategy for me um, where I'm at right now. I have four daughters, um, ages almost two, seven, eleven, and almost fourteen. Thank you for not putting that in months. <laughs> You're I welcome. I appreciate you. <laughs> I'm 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 here with my forty-eight month old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so um. So I guess like let's talk a little bit about what kind of brought you guys to town and I guess that that journey and you know the tie to Sterling and all that other kind of stuff. So um as Ken mentioned he was pastor of at the time the Sterling Assembly of God Church and that was its name when you came as well. Like that yep. was it, the whole time you were there. Okay. Yep. And uh for those that are local it's the it's the church at 407 North 6th Street in Sterling. And is now branded the uh, Encounter Church. It's a sister church to, or depending on the literature re you read, it's either a sister church or a daughter church. I've seen it both ways. <laughs> um, I'm like, what's what's it matter? But, um, and so it, in there, a sister church of the Encounter Church in Great Bend that was the Great Bend Sterling Assembly or Great Bend Assembly of God, right? Yep. Yeah. So run by Pastor Dozier. So, um, when you when so how long were you pastoring before you bought the woodlot? Or the two lots north of the um, church. I'm not R sure how long. Just roughly. I don't remember how long we had been there. Probably, I'm going to guess about five or six years. And uh, the the people that had owned those wood lots um, it was really interesting. They had immigrated to the United States from Estonia during World War II, and um, I think one or both of them worked at the college. And their daughter, they had one daughter that never married and stayed and took care of her parents. And they were arborist. And so they had these two lots behind their house. Their house actually sits on um, Broadway. And uh, they had those, they had a lot of different fruit trees planted, uh, a big garden, uh, some of that. Well, after her parents died, she could no longer keep it up. And the thing just kept getting more and more overgrown. 
and uh, she would try to go in and clean stuff up and and uh, just wasn't having much luck. And then when she passed away, um, I went over and talked to her brother and sister who were there, and I said that we were interested. Uh, well, I had thought about doing a prayer garden, a prayer park there, and I asked if they would be if they would be interested in just donating those two lots to the churches in Sterling for all of us to do that ecumenically. And they said, no, they really wanted to sell them. And they said they wanted $5,000. And so I, I went back to the church and, and I said, here's the deal. They'll take $2,000 down and we don't have to go borrow any money. They will carry it without charging us any interest. And at that time we had like 10, what I called giving units in the church. And I'd figured it out that if each one of those gave $12.50 a month, we could pay for the, we we could not only pay the lots off, but we could replace the $2,000 coming out of savings in three years. And so uh, we got ready uh, to vote that day. And I had uh, taken out a couple of the, the old fence posts and cut them off and uh, written part of the prayer of Jabez about God, if you would expand my, expand my territory. And so I had done enough of those for everybody. They were sitting across the, the front of the platform. And I told everybody, if you vote to do this, understand you are saying that you're going to do, contribute the money. It's not, yeah, I vote for this and he ought to pay for it. Yeah, you know, right. so if you vote for it, you know, you're committing. Did you also have to commit to the labor of it as well? The late, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and so um, we voted, and everybody said, "Yeah, let's do it." And so I sent them home with those. I still have mine on my desk in in uh, Charleston, uh, and uh, so we started. And and uh, one of the guys, uh, Tony McGill, would come up once a once a week on Thursdays, and he and I would spend the day out working in the woodlot. And when we bought it, it was so overgrown. You literally could not see more than about a foot into it. Um, and I think Tony talked to you. He's yeah. got some pictures from yeah. back then when we first, because to look at it now, people that never saw it then have, have no idea yeah. as to the amount of work that has gone into. You wouldn't know it looking at it now. No, looking at it now, it looks like, you know, it's really nice. And of course, at one point, the kid that was chaplain at the college came to church and he had talked to one of the other guys in the church and he said, what we need to do is just go get a bulldozer and knock all this stuff down. And, and just, I said, no, I don't want another two lots to mow. <laughs> I've got this idea of a prayer garden where there's trees and shade and, you know, and uh, I had to talk pretty hard at those two guys to, get them not to go behind my back and get a bulldozer. <laughs> so, so, uh, so the idea was the, like the prayer garden, what was, what was your mind's eye for it? Is it similar to what there was or different or? No, it, it <clears throat> really about like what they have. I mean, for, for there to be a path and, and we talked about different ideas of maybe, um, laying railroad ties down to make the, the path or, or, or landscaping ties or something, but just to make a path through, where people could walk, have benches in different places so that if people wanted to stop and sit down and pray, they would have uh, room for that. One of the things that I have thought of back in that back corner where that metal shed still is was to take that down and back in there um, put up a gazebo. Uh, I had shot a wedding picture for 
Don and Gail Starn's son, and uh, the place had a gazebo that looked like uh, the pictures you see of the little church in the Wildwood. Yeah. And I thought, boy, a little gazebo like that back there would be really cool if somebody wanted to have just a small wedding ceremony or maybe a couple that wanted to renew their wedding vows or something. So, um, so yeah, to see how, how it's gone ahead and, and they've continued to work on it was, uh, was really neat. So from the time you bought it to now, how many years? I mean, again, just roughly. Probably. It was five of thirteen, probably about sixteen years. So, so sixteen years it took to make that, you know, that for that to come to fruition, which is why you're here. Um, you know, the, our, our church and the the pastor, he, it was interesting, and I didn't realize this was how it came about. Um, you know, he was kind of being asked by people, well, what do you plan on doing over there? And he kind of said, I don't know. And then some other ideas came about and they just never felt right. And then somebody mentioned a prayer walk and he's like, Ooh, good idea. Not knowing that that was what you'd. And so like, I'm like, man, that's, that's a God thing right there. A hundred percent, you know, that that was just the thing that was settled on. And then when, when that kind of got around to him of like, Oh yeah, that's what Ken and Marlene wanted to, to do with that. And, and then, and then it was like, Oh, okay. And then we start, you know, Hey, do you want to come to this? And, you know, and so on and so forth. And then, Oh, by the way, you know, we're going to dedicate this to, to Marlene and her memory. And so, you know, uh, I've told people many times that, so when my grandmother passed away would have been about the same time I started, we started coming to church there and, uh, your wife and your mother, uh, had the exact same hairstyle, the same look, the same glasses, the same, the, the, the women were carbon copies of each other. And so she was kind of like my surrogate, you know, like, I guess like grandmother or whatever at that point, you know, where, you know, she just filled that gap and like, they laughed the same way. They had the same like mannerisms, the same wit along with that. You don't ever want to like, like get on her bad side or let her, or let her down or, you know, like, you know, make it to where she was, you know, uh, unhappy with you. Thankfully, I never got to see that side. I got to have see him see that side a couple of times. I got to see Ken see that side a couple of times when she'd want to do something and she'd go, no. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> so we would, we would stop. We would, we would not do what we were going to do because he and I would get together and we would come up with some harebrained things. <laughs> And Marlene would be the voice of reason, as most women in our lives are. <laughs> I'm sure everybody in here can yeah. associate with that. Uh -huh. Yeah. So um, I will say for me, and I'd like to go around the room and just get your your you guys' thoughts. Um, I had not seen the sign. I had not seen the plaque. I had not seen anything. And I was distancing myself from that for a reason. Um, I did haul all the wood chips there um, from the, the place that we got them from for free. Uh, so I did help with that part of it, but anyway, um, man, when, when I saw that sign for me, like it hit me like a ton of bricks. I don't know if it was the same feeling for you gentlemen, but like right now, just like the thought of that and like choking it back a little bit of just remembering the memory of her and like what she added into our lives and you know, the law, the phone call that she wasn't with us anymore and just how it made me, it was all coming back to the surface and it was just a good point of uh, closure and uh, it was a good day. Um, yeah. So I just, I guess I want to get your guys' thoughts on, on how that felt today. 
Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was really special. I mean, you know, she was an amazing woman and she meant so much to so many people. And it's just really neat to see that and see, um, you know, dad always said that, you know, when the time came, leaving the church would be hard, but leaving Sterling would be even harder. And that was borne out with when we, when we packed up and moved him out to Charleston three years ago, that it was hard to leave Sterling. I mean, he, this was the longest that he had had any one job in his life. I mean, it was the longest he'd, you know, done, been in one place for that long. And so, um, Sterling is an important part of our family legacy and history. And so, um, for the vision and the, effort that they had put forward to set that path and start it down that road for that to be now brought full circle into fruition. And then to see that sign there with her name on it, you know, someone um, that was there, a friend of ours from Wichita said, you know, this is really special. A lot of things don't get named after people. Like it's rare or things get named after people, but it's rare to be someone special enough to have something named after you. And it was like, Wow. What a, what a, what a neat and true statement. It just made me pause. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know a lot of people personally that have had things named after, them, but for my mom to have this prayer garden named after her and in her memoriam, um, to remember her in this way where they served and where they were so faithful, it's just, it's going to be a really neat thing to know that it's there. Yeah. I would say too, the, uh, you know, she passed away April 9th of 2020. So, uh, your math, uh, obviously on the, this side of that was the, the height of confusion of the pandemic. Um, and so the, the inability at that time to have an actual service for her. I mean, we, the three of us stood there with a couple friends off camera and they broadcast it live on Facebook live and, um, that's how we watched it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, I mean, I, I can't, I mean, it's, it's such a weird, weird thing that I've thought about so many times, um, since then of the, the influx of technology and what it allowed us to do through that, but then how alone we were standing there mm-hmm. in the field. Um, and just how those, those, the dichotomy of those two things yeah. of the connectedness of technology, but it was just us. Yeah. The, you know, that was one of the things I posted on my story yesterday was, um, without getting too far off on this tangent, Japan released saying that like all of the SARS CoV one stuff was, they, they traced back its lineage. I'm not sure how they do that. It's DNA or whatever. And it yeah. was all, lab grown bioengineered none of it was naturally occurring so which then begs the question of someone released it who and why and i i was talking in there about how people literally watch their family members die over zoom Mm -hmm. or not at all or were not allowed you know i remember when she was in the hospital you weren't ken you weren't allowed to go inside you had to you had to find that news out sitting in your truck alone and uh you know that just it just rubs me all the wrong ways and that's one of one of the many reasons that as i run for if i run for sheriff or excuse me that i am running for sheriff if that ever comes to fruition again no i i'm not going to do that to people just not going to happen yeah. you have the freedom to make those choices yeah. Yeah. and so it was awesome today to have so many people there that uh, yeah. couldn't be there 
three years ago. Um, I didn't even think of it through that lens. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what, you know, I, I was talking with one of our friends from Wichita and she said, I, I wish we would have just come up and said, forget it. I don't care what they say. We're coming. Um, but it was so early. I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember as I hit the road to drive up here, uh, that next morning, you know, the whole just, you know, take gloves to pump gas because we had, we had no idea what any of it was or meant or anything. And yeah, so, right. yeah. um, all, you know, just all of that. Um, so today was a, it was an awesome day. Um, so yeah, to see the, to see her name on the sign and, and be surrounded by all the people that, um, both supported you guys here in Sterling, um, uh, but then have been involved in our lives since, you know, we were kids and our lives have, have been so intermingled with the rest of our days that, uh, it was, that was super special. Um, yeah, it, it was, I, uh, and I had told the boys that I didn't know how well I would do today that, you know, I, I just, I wasn't sure. Um, and, uh, then when, when, uh, you had told me they were going to want me to, to say something and, and, uh, I probably talked more than than uh, Wayne. <laughs> well, you would, did well. Wayne would have wanted me to, but uh, 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 that floor was but, all yours. But you know, the it, it was to stand there and and as as I walked through, as Wayne walked me through the building before we went outside, and to look at everything that had been done and and think about the fact that that was all stuff that Marlene and I had talked about. Man, wouldn't it be great if we could do this? If we could replace the carpet and we could do, you know, change some of this and, and, and all of that. And, and so to see that, and, and that was stuff that we only talked about that nobody else knew about. Um, and so to see some of that, uh, now be in, be in place, uh, and then to, to, to walk out and, and see the woodlot and, and, and how, how neat it looks. And then, um, when they, when they uncovered the sign, uh, you know, and, and it's so true. I don't, uh, well, I guess it was funny cause we'd driven up to Lyons and saw the sign, uh, the Bob Bethel Memorial yeah. Highway. And I shared right. with the boys about Bob, you know, and, and to think, you know, we had such an impact on the community. And, and even though for the first, uh, however many years your mom retired, what, 2010? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think 2010. So for the yeah. first, yeah, for the first nine years, she was only there on the weekend. I would go pick her up and bring her up and, and she was only there on the weekends. And yet she, she jumped right in and got involved in everything. And, and, um, you know, um, uh, I'm friends with a lot of people on Facebook and uh, again this year when, when Warrior Fest came, I just, it, it hurt. I, I loved Warrior Fest and being downtown and having our booth for the church and the 4th of July and the Silver Sand Pile and, and all of those kinds of things that, that, that we did. And so, uh, you know, and, and so to stand there when they, when, when they removed the cover from the sign and, and, and saw that, um, you knew, I don't know, for me, you knew they were going to do it, but it was just something when all of a sudden you saw it. Yeah. Yeah. It's this like tangible thing. Yeah. 
you know, you, you saw it and, <clears throat> and thought, wow. Uh, and then when they gave me the, the plaque, uh, the thank you and, and the, the verse, and I don't know if Wayne knew that that was the verse that I had put on the, uh, the little pieces of, of fence posts that I gave everybody. Um, but just to have that on there, just cause I had thought the other day about, I ought to look up that scripture that I used on the, on the fence post and then I, I didn't, uh, and, uh, but no, it was, it was very, very meaningful to see so many people that, um, were there today that, uh, like the boys have said, were friends of ours from, from Wichita and, and even before then from Enid. Um, uh, and then so many people from, from Sterling that, that were there because Marlene touched their lives. You know, they, we, you know, um, I was at a, a district event one time and, and, they were doing a, a a luncheon for those of us that were district council churches, which means we were under 20 members. And the guy that spoke said, guys that pastor mega churches, that senior pastor pastors his staff. Guys that pastor large churches pastor their church. You guys that pastor small churches, you pastor your community. And when I think back about it, that, that was such a true statement. I mean, when I think about all of the funerals I did for people that were not connected with my church, but that either I had ministered to them as chaplain in the, in the nursing home. And so the family would come and say, they don't have a pastor. Will you do this? Or even my work with the funeral home and they knew that it didn't matter. They could call me. It didn't matter if I knew the person or not. I would, I would do that. That to me, that was just part of the, the honor that I had of being a minister of the gospel was to step in in those kinds of times of extreme loss and extreme grief and, and minister as much as I could to those people. And, and so I never turned them down. I always said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. Time or two, I wish in retrospect I'd said no. But, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, to be know. fair, you know, not only were you the pastor of the church, but then you were like a pastor or minister at the uh, the manor. manor. The manor, yeah. And then, you know, you were also going to the school and reading in the school. That's that's a form of, I mean, yeah. I mean even though it's not like you were reading from the scriptures. Yeah. You know, but, uh, so I mean, I think that's very true because yeah. you were involved in so many things. I mean, yeah. imagine if you were and then the chaplain for the police department. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and then that as well, <laughs> ministering to me. Which one thing I want to say real quick, and I and I'll try not to cry here again. No promises. Um, is I remember you saying one time when you were standing behind the pulpit, like if you could get one person one step closer to Christ, just one person one step closer, not meaning like they converted, they whatever, you know, your whole ministry would be worth it. And I would say, you know, for me, you counseled me through a very rough time in my life, um, and you brought me all the way around. So, mission accomplished. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and then seeing all those people there today, you know, you you obviously made more than one step in one person's yeah. life. So, yeah. you know, I'd say mission well, accomplished and the, and the, for sure. In the community part, I thought it was really special that the mayor was there 
you know, it was neat to see that, you know, we had f- friends from family that we've known, like you said, but then the mayor was there. And then he brought up the outreach program where dad would send out to four businesses a week that you guys would pray over as a church. And he sent them a postcard every week. They went out to four different businesses there in Sterling. And uh, so the community knew that the church was praying over them and their employees and the profitability and the, the just their businesses. And so um, it goes back to being that that pastor of the community. So, uh, so like one of the things that, you know, your outreach is to the community was being the chaplain for the police department, which entailed many duties. And and I forget, were you the one that came to the, ch- the, the, ch- if I remember, cause I was brand new and you came to the PD and was like, Hey, can I be your chaplain? Right. Yeah. And you talked to the Ed True Love about that. If I remember, cause I was there that day, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well, and the, the funny thing was that chief was getting ready to leave. Right. And, uh, I had uh, a guy that was uh, filling in pastor out at the uh, evangelical church had talked to me about going down and taking this chaplain's training. And so I went in and talked to the chief about it. And, and he said, I think they good. I said, is there any, so I was going to do it and I was just going to pay for it. And then uh, uh, this guy said, well, see if the, see if the apartment has any money. I said, okay. So I went in two days before we're supposed to leave. And I said, this is how much this is, and, and I've got room. He said, let me go see. Said, hey, we'll pay for that. We'll pay for all your room and board, so you're good to go. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, he definitely got your money's money's worth out of yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it was – that that was interesting, taking that training and and then and then riding with you guys. Um, I, I, I guess to share a story, the first time I rode with you, um, which was my first – right along with anybody. The first thing you said to me is, here, you need to know where this is. And, and you reach down and hit the button <laughs> that unlocked the shotgun and the, and the, the, uh, M16. And I'm like, uh, okay. I had no idea where that button was, but it was on <laughs> your side somewhere. Well, so then the first time I rode with the sergeant, he goes, look, I normally tell people if I get in a fight, get out of the truck and run the opposite direction. You can't run. Just stay in the truck. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So then I'm riding with, with the chief, with Mary. And I said, okay, this is what I've been told. I said, if something happens to one of those guys, I hope you know I'm not going to stay in the truck. I said, if I can't do anything more than grab that big mag flashlight, I'm going to get out there and crack somebody's head. Yeah. <laughs> I said, is that all right? And, and she gave me the best advice in the world. She goes, I'm not going to tell you no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, and eventually you ended up actually qualifying with a gun. We're allowed yeah. to to carry and, and yeah. everything. I, was, yeah. I have to admit, I was impressed when you first got out there. I I, I did not think you were going to shoot as well as you did, and you, I was like, wow, okay, this guy can shoot. Well yeah. done. Yeah. You went right out there and did did a pretty good job, if I do say yeah. so myself. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's one of those things of like I I tell people, I'm like, you're not like required to help me, but please, if I'm getting my crap kicked in, please help me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I don't understand the thought process of run the other way. I mean, I guess it's that, that shepherd servant, you know, mindset of like, I don't want you yeah. to get hurt. You know, if anybody's going to get hurt, it needs to be me kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, maybe I'm just more of a wuss than Sargius. <laughs> uh, maybe that's what it is. So, uh, so if we can maybe get, is, is anybody else want to add anything there on the, on the reason you're here or anything like that? Anything we missed? Okay. Um, so I think to get into like the next part of our conversation, and I won't keep you too, too long because I know you're tired. 
Um, and you, you know, you're probably, you're probably going to be drooling on yourself on the way back to, to Wichita. But, um, I don't have to drive. It's fine. Yeah. So would you say you've been up since two after, uh, yeah, after like, two hours of sleep? Yeah. Oof. Oof. <laughs> if any consolation, me too. Um, but, uh, but of course I didn't travel in a plane and have to go through all that. So, <laughs> I'm uh, good. so. You know, I think it's the conversation I kind of wanted to have that I told you guys about was like what it's like, to, you know, what it is to be a Christian man in our society, a Christian husband, Christian father. And I think to me personally, from my perspective and any, the, the nice thing again about this podcast, feel free to disagree with anything that I say. Do not nod and agree. But, you know, I think you need to figure out how to be a Christian man first and then build the next piece of the puzzle, which being would be a Christian husband. And then the next piece of the puzzle, you know, like Christian, Christian father, I think that would be a a good logical building block if we're thinking of it as a pyramid. So we have a society that's telling us, you know, do, do what feels good, do what, do what's easy, you know, and, uh, you, you know, you, you don't have to go to church, you know, you don't have to read the Bible, you don't have to, you know, and all this other kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm just kind of curious of like what your guys' thoughts of what you see in the world um, and anyone feel free to chime in at any time. It's a conversation of, you know, what you see in our world that men are doing that is not, that is either a admirable or not admirable. And then like, what could we be doing better as, as a society as a whole to just make things better and more godly? Boom. Hit you with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, um, you made the comment, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't need a parachute to jump out of an airplane either. But it sure works a lot better. <laughs> You'll never, get more, you get more than one jump that way. Never heard it put that way. That's a valid point. That's a valid but point. I, I think, you know, what happened was when I grew up, church was important. We went every Sunday. Um, the boys grew up going to church. Every Sunday, they knew. And even when they got into high school and uh, there might be something they wanted to go do on a Saturday night, and and they were always told, that's fine. But just remember, we're getting up and going to church Sunday morning. And if you ever fuss about it, then you won't go out anywhere on a Saturday night. Yeah. I don't care if it's the youth group going somewhere, you know. And, and so, you know, uh, but I, I think that's been part of the breakdown of our society is we have moved – the church farther and farther back from things. You know, it used to be on Sundays, nothing was open. No restaurants, no stores, nothing. And then, and then that slowly started to change. Schools would, would never do activities on Wednesday night. They would never do anything on a Sunday. That started to change. And, and part of that fault lies with the church. Because we just kept stepping back and stepping back. Well, we don't want to make ways. We don't want, so we'll, you know, you can only make so many concessions before you're at the edge of a cliff. And, and I think that's what we've seen. And, and so, you know, uh, just more and more things changed and, and, um, it, it just, we, we've seen, you know, the rise in, in, in divorce, uh, I taught elementary school. The first year I taught, well, growing up, I don't think I knew anybody whose parents were divorced. None. The first year I taught, I don't think I had any kids or maybe one. By the last year I taught in Wichita, almost half the kids of the 30-some kids in my classroom 
their parents had been married and divorced. And and so you see that change. You know, it, it quit being a commitment of till death do us part. And it became a commitment of lo- as long as we both shall love. You know, until you serve me burnt eggs in the morning, I'll stick around or, you know, whatever. And and we just made it more and more disposable. And and so because of that, we, we've seen that breakdown. And, and, and so in a lot of churches, women started to step up. And, and I'm not criticizing women who have done that in the church. We needed them to because the men weren't doing it. When we first came to Bethel, I worked with Royal Rangers, and, and I had worked with Royal Rangers in Oklahoma. And when we got to Wichita, I was going to not get involved for a little while until my son <laughs> told the pastor, oh, yeah, my dad's been involved in Royal Rangers for three years. I didn't tell the pastor. I told the commander who told the pastor. Oh, you told them, yeah. <laughs> tell Pastor Woods. Anyway, I, got, I get called into the pastor's office, and he says, I understand you know about Royal Rangers. Well, yeah, okay, you're now my senior commander. I am. <laughs> that went over really well with the guy who had been senior commander and just suddenly found himself replaced. Uh oh. Well, that's okay because I nearly died the third night there because we just basically played kill each other in the gym for an hour and a half. It wasn't really an organized program. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the the youngest group, the 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 straight arrows and buckaroos, the two youngest groups, were being run by ladies because no men would step up. Yeah. And, same uh, thing happened, Boy Scouts of America. Yeah. yeah. And and the same thing happened as I started trying to get men involved. I, I talked to one of the guys in the church who runs his own construction company, um, was an outdoorsman, hunted fish and everything. He had four daughters. And and I said to him, I said, hey, you ought to come get involved. And he said, why? I've got daughters. I said, yeah. And those girls are going to grow up and start to date guys. And you want them to date yeah. guys that have Christian values. You need to get involved and help us raise those guys. Exactly. And he looked at me and said, you're hitting me below the belt. And I said, no, I'm hitting you where you need to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, he Sorry, said, you're the one you with you boys. <laughs> you, you've got two boys. You're the one that needs the problem. I don't need it because I can instill those values at home. You know, and, well, and, and so it's, that's, that's been part of it, you know. We, and as as a father, you're 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 also showing your daughters what it is to treat how to treat their mother, and mm-hmm. the daughters are seeing that, yes. and they're gonna they're gonna model off of that one way or the other of this is what's admirable, this is what's not. Yeah. And you know, I I I mean, I I have the conversation so so much with Brooklyn that now when I ask her, she kind of does the whole hunch her shoulders and roll her eyes, <laughs> and I'm like I'm like, what what do you need to look for in a man? And she did the whole a guy that loves God more than he loves me. You know, like, you know, that kind of stuff. And if, if you, if he tells you you're worthless, what do you do? Leave him. If he, if he, if he tells you, you know, he hits you and, and tells you he's like, you know, and it, what do I do? Leave him. You know, if he takes control of your money, what do you do? I leave, you know. So, I mean, there, you can still mentor the Christian values through that. But I, I think it's also important too, like Eli and Alex of just, I constantly tell them, protect, provide, preside. And preside is where we spend most of our time mm-hmm. um, in in being the men. Uh, and so, you know, I just think that as a whole, our society, when it comes to men, are lacking. Men are pathetic excuses for men, especially in the the Christian realm, because the statistics show if you are a man of faith, 
there's like a over 80% chance. Uh, it might even be higher than that, but that your family will follow suit and do the same thing. Uh, when it's women, it's like 30, you know, like 30% chance that they'll stick around. But I'm, I'm also at a point, I'm curious of what your guys' thoughts here. You know, like with Eli, he's kind of, kind of a, I think he's kind of in that point where he's establishing like what's in it for me, I guess, with his faith of making that journey, that, that, that journey of with Christ and everybody's is different. And he's not big on going to church. I still ask him. I still encourage him. I still get him to go to sometimes Wednesday night things. If maybe we're watching a video or something, um, if a girl asks him, he'll definitely go to church. <laughs> um, so I really like those girls. Um, but you know, like I don't force it because I feel like if I'm like kicking him, like you're going to go, you know, we're going to ramrod it. And I think that's part of what you were talking about with the church stepping back. So that kind of hit a chord with me. Am, am I stepping back there and like giving, getting myself to a precipice where I'm going to step off there, where he's not going to be in faith as a result of me not holding that line? I mean, I guess what are your guys' thoughts there? Well, I, I think, I think you, I think you know Eli. I mean, you know, you're, he's your son. You, you know, you, you've been working with him on through different things. And so you know his personality and you know, how he's going to react and receive certain things. I mean, there were, there were things that, you know, that they would, wow, sorry about that. No worries. So, um, so you know, you know, you know, Eli, you know what you've been working with him on. There were things that, uh, um, dad had instilled in us and mom and dad had worked with us on that, you know, um, but yeah, it was pretty non-negotiable about not going to church, but, um, but I would say if it if you know that it's got the potential to create a resentment that's going to make him go as soon as I'm 18, I'm never setting foot in another church. Yeah, then, that's what I fear. Then then you have to do what you know and what you're being guided with. I mean, I don't think you arrived at that decision like, oh yeah, you just do what you want. That's not what I'm hearing. What I'm hearing is, hey, I want this to be a place that you want to come. I want this to be an experience that is your own. Because here's the other thing: we going back to some of the statistics. I don't know the numbers, but we also know that a lot of kids that have been churched will walk away because they never had a personal relationship. They had a I backseat relationship, as in you get your behind in the back seat. We're going to church, yeah. and that that doesn't carry you through when the tough times hit. So if he sees you're living it out and sees how you interact with it. When the times are hard, he's going to be like, "Hey, Dad, why, why did you do this, or why was this important to you?" Um, you know, I mean, I mean, along those lines, I've I've told that this before, but one of the things that has always stood out to me is um, I was home one afternoon, and Dad came home early from work, and I looked in the back of his car, and like everything from his office was in the back of the truck. I'm like, "What's going on?" He's like, "Well, I got let go today." I'm like. You what? Wait, you love that job. He's like, yeah, the, there was something came up and they, they had to let me go. And I'm like, and I was mad. I'm like, how can they do that? This is so unfair. And he's like, it's okay, son. I'm like, no, this is unfair. This is, he's like, it's okay. God provided this job. He'll provide the next one. If, if I'm being moved on, there's got to be a reason for it. And, and that just always resonated with me that, whoa, that's, that's some serious faith to be like, you just lost your job and you're going, it's going to be okay. And like, what like it, Peter stepping out of the boat kind of thing. Y- yeah, exactly. Exactly. For, for me, it was that type of a moment. It's had that type of an impact on me that, okay, God's going to provide. So, 
I think uh, something that came to my mind, so just a kind of a cliff notes, um, we were raised in Assemblies of God Church, um, but um, one of the things that has been a huge impact in my life and and how I parent my girls now um, is one, <laughs> the story that Dad did just tell about um, asking someone with daughters to be involved in a program. And that's one of their things that led me to, to join as a mentor with big brothers, big sisters a few years ago, um, that, um, I don't have a son. I'm not going to have a son, but I can make a difference in, in a young man's life. Um, and, and I've just chose to use that, that organization, um, to do that. Um, but one of the things that mom and dad instilled and were really just no bones about it with, with, I know me, uh, when I left home was that they didn't care if I went to an assemblies of God church, they wanted me to be in a Bible believing community. And with my friends that, that I have shared that with, they're like, Oh man, I wish my parents would have told me that. Because they got more of the, you got to find a church of Christ to go to. Mm. You have to find this church. This name has to be on it. Yeah. Um, and when you put those parameters on something that should be, especially as you're growing it into an adult, um, what feeds you the best or what what program? I mean, that's the big thing, you know, the churches – offer a wide variety of, of programs and ways to interact with, with people. Um, and it really comes down to finding a community that you can be involved in, that you can buy into, that you can find yourself serving the greater, bigger community, um, through that Bible believing community. And, um, that's one of the, the neat things, our church there in Abilene, we've been doing, for several years now, this one mile mission, we have a elementary school, a middle school and a high school all within one mile radius of our church. And so we intentionally are looking for ways to interact with the students on those campuses to, to reach the students and then in turn, you know, reach the families. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, anything else to add there? Well, uh, one thing that, that I will share is one of the areas that I have always felt badly about that that I failed in was that we didn't do family devotions. I mean, the the boys understood, you know, church was important. We always went and and that, but um, you know, looking back, there there have been times that I I wish we'd have done, you know, had some set family devotion, and and there were times that the boys saw us walk through a lot of hard times. Uh, the death of, of uh, my wife's dad and then uh, my wife's mom, uh, the death of my parents. I mean, they watched us walk through some of those things. And I think it was watching us walk through it and and not having those things destroy us. Yes, we grieved, we, we, we cried, we, you know, but they saw that it was our faith that carried us through those times. They saw those friends come around us. Um, when 
my dad was not doing well in Arizona. Uh, and, uh, I came out one, uh, I was in it to prison. We were, we were at Freedom Challenge on a Friday. I preached, came out and, and Don and Paul and I were going to lunch and I got in the truck and I had, um, I guess it was mom passed away. And, and I had a voicemail from my brother saying, uh, Hey Ken, mom passed away. And I had another voicemail from my wife going, your brother called, your mom passed away last night. And so we had already decided what restaurant to go to down here. I drove over there and I just thought, I'm just going to go on back up to Stroll and I need to get up there. Don and Paul walked up to the truck and said, Marlene left us a note, uh, left us voicemails. We know your mom passed away. You're coming in and having lunch. And I said, no. I, I, they said, no, you are coming in and you are going to eat. And that was probably one of the best things they could have done, you know, because, and, and and we talked and stuff. And and so, you know, there are those kinds of, of things. Um, the, we did things with the boys now. And again, we've talked. We were never able to do the big, you know, fancy vacations anywhere. Um, most of the time, uh, these guys never knew what it was like to have Christmas at home because one year we did Thanksgiving with my parents and Christmas with Marlene's parents. The next year we did it the other way. It was Thanksgiving with Marlene's parents, Christmas with my parents. So Thanksgiving and Christmas to these guys was always loading up everything in the car and either driving to Northern Kansas or Colorado. And so, you know, they, there were some times in high school that we didn't, I guess. Um, but for the most part, that was what they knew. And there been there were times that their mom and I talked about it that, you know, maybe we should have established our own, this is what you do at Christmas. But both of the boys have shared at different times and said no, because what you did taught us the importance of family, that family mattered. And, and so, and again, with both, particularly with my parents being clear in Colorado, we maybe only got out there once, maybe twice a year. So it was an opportunity to do that. <clears throat> and so it instilled in them talking about, you know, godly men and then godly fathers and, and, and godly husbands. They saw that, that, hey, this, this is, family's important. And so. Well, and I think another thing to point out that you just made me think about was when it came to being the pastor. I mean, how many times did you have to get flights home because of, you know, <laughs> funerals? And, you know, I think most people, it's kind of like teach, they see teachers, right? Oh, you only work three months out of the year and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think same thing with pastors. We only work on Sunday mornings, yeah. you know, and I yeah. think that's another, you just made me think about that with the traveling. So, I mean, yeah. there, can you tell, share some of those stories of where you had to cut vacation short and things like that as a result? Um, the main one I remember was Marguerite Zimmerman, who had been our piano player, was in the hospital. And she probably wasn't going to make it. And we were flying out to see Maddie. She had just been born, our first granddaughter. And I was at the hospital here in Hutch with with Marguerite and, and Lester and, and uh, Joe and everybody. And, and I looked at Lester and I said, if anything happens, let me know. And, and I'll come back. And Marguerite looked at me and she said, you will not. You're going out to see your granddaughter and you're not coming back if I die. They'll find somebody else to do this. Don't you come back. <laughs> okay, well, 
No sense in arguing with you. Okay. Yeah. We'd been out at Mike's for, I think, two or three days, and I got the call that Marguerite had passed away. And I said, okay, when's the funeral? And they told me, and I said, okay, I'll... And, and I remember it was funny because both Mike and, and his mom were like, it's going to cost us so much to change your, your reservation and stuff. And I said, just call and tell them what happened. They called and found out, gee, they would switch it without, without nice. a charge. Very cool. And so I flew back early and, and, and I, I, Lester came in. I, I walked in and Lester goes, you realize mom told you you weren't supposed to do this. <laughs> she ain't going to know. <laughs> you know, uh, and I think the, the same thing happened with CJ. I think when she passed, I, I ended up having to come back. It may have been from your house. Yeah, yeah you were at our house both times. And, and both times. So, and I. Oh, no wonder you went to live there. You never got to visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah to every visit time you came well, to visit. Every time you went to David's, it was yeah, fine. So. Yeah, every, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the only time I went to David, the person that was supposed to show up to preach never showed up. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there are those times, and um, again, I, I know a lot of PKs because these guys laughed because when I PKs, when I took the church, what, what does PKs mean? PKs, uh, preacher's kid. Yeah, I knew it, but sometimes people Some, listening yeah. won't. So. Well, and and I'll remember calling the boys and telling them that I was going to take the church at Sterling. David's comment was. Cool, I'm 27 years old and I finally get to be a PK. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, they thought they were safe at that point of not being used as sermon illustrations, but oh, no, they, you they were weren't not. used anyway. You were not. <laughs> you were not. <laughs> Although I will say, from the, the picture that your parents painted, you guys were ideal perfect children. Just to let well, you know. Well, I was. <laughs> That's why they had a second. They quit after two because of him. <laughs> I mean, it did take you five colleges. He's got a, he's got a point there. In four years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, if we could rewind just a little bit, something you made me think about was the that that idea of like we grew up Catholic. You got to be a Catholic, or you know, we were at the Church of Christ. You got to be at the Church of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think. And again, feel free to disagree with me here. I think a lot of people and why, why some of the church has stepped back is because a lot of people have religion and they don't have Christ. Like we, we've got to sing this hymnal. Like it, you know, we gotta. And I'm like, can you show me the scriptures where it says that? Or, you know, you got to wear a three piece suit to church. Um, you realize that when the church started, they were in basically rags, right? Like and, and healing people that were in literal, like, potato baskets basically or potato like sacks you know and so i think that's where a lot of it and 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 i understand the mindset of wear the three-piece suit because you're giving your best to go like if that's what you want to do is like your personal thing that's your personal conviction and you want to give your best like cool and that's where it ends yeah and i remember when i very first showed up to church and I was wearing a tie. Your dad came. He's like, "You don't have to do that if you don't. You're you're, like, you're making me look bad." Uh, <laughs> that's not what he said. But. Well, but you you had not seen my progression of preaching every Sunday morning with a jacket and a tie on, and because I sweat hard, I would sometimes take my jacket off and then loosen my tie. And then at some point, none of the men in the church were wearing jackets or ties. And at some point, I went, "You know, this is really stupid." I'm, I'm creating an image here that I don't want created. And so one Sunday I just said, I'm not wearing a jacket. I'm not wearing a tie. And then the other thing I did that, that I think is really interesting and they've gotten rid of it now, but the church had a huge pulpit 
I mean, that was wider than this table. And one day it just hit me that... It's still up it, there. It's on the stage. Huh? It's up on the stage. Oh, it's still there. No, that's the communion table. Oh, 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 oh. Okay, I'm talking about the pulpit that used to be back in the office. You guys probably hauled it out <laughs> and got rid of it. It was a great big... It was like this wide. Okay. And I got to thinking about that. And if you go into the Old Testament, in the in the temple, there was the holy place... And then there was the Holy of Holies, and there was a curtain. And in our churches, and a lot of pastors would disagree and be very angry with me for saying this, but in the way we designed our churches, our pulpit was the division between the holy place and the Holy of Holies. And only the pastor was allowed up on the platform behind the pulpit. And it just some of that started to just resonate with me as I was preaching. And so one Sunday we did a wedding for a couple that were going to church. And so we moved the pulpit back into the office and I set up things and I, I talked about marriage and what it was. And I said, now you're going to have 10 minutes and then John and Pat are getting married this morning and they want you all to be here. And then they're taking us to the college for lunch for a reception. And I did their wedding and I never put the pulpit back. I bought the little table. Yeah. And that's and, still there. And and for a long time I had it up on the platform. And then at some point I moved it down onto the onto the floor. And I preached from down there. Because it, it, it just it felt it felt right to me. It it just felt you know, and so um but yeah, there there's that you're you're right. We there's a difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus came against religion. He came to give us a relationship so that we would have a one-on-one relationship with him. And again, I think that's where we have lost so much is that we need to get back to you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I I remember in in the assemblies, they used to give people perfect attendance at Sunday school. Uh, you, the, the first year you did it, you got this thing that said perfect attendance, Sunday school. And then every year after that, you would get two years, three years, four years. And I remember seeing people that had like 25 of these things down their thing. <laughs> and yet if you saw them out on the church street, you would have no idea that they were a believer. And I think that's another thing that's distanced people from the church in general. Right. It's like what you would tell us all the time. If you're just coming here to warm a pew, you're doing it all wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's that's a lot of of what does happen, you know. Of, you know, okay, I've I've come here, I've 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 drank the juice, I've ate the piece of bread, I've atoned, we're good. I'm gonna go out and now do what I want to do, yeah. you know, like you're checking a box. So, did you have some thoughts there? Yeah. So I think um, one of the one of the reasons I think that you could probably attribute some of the the difficulty in in making those connections to to getting to a personal relationship with Jesus is some of the, the imagery and the, the language that we get way too familiar with using in the church of God, our father. Um, and that, that imagery works really well if you had a perfect dad. Um, but sitting here in this room, I didn't have a perfect dad. I had a really awesome dad, but he wasn't perfect. Um, and so when, when when you've had a less than ideal situation and then you're crammed into this 
these these talks of you know God's like your father, God's like your father. Well, if you had an absent or a non-existent father, or even worse, an abusive father, that imagery breaks down really fast. Um, and then, um, kind of a, along that same line, I think um, when back to the that striving for a, a, a personal relationship. Um, there's a, uh, a teacher that I've listened to off and on named Ray Vanderlaan. Um, and he, um, just quickly, he taught in Christian school, but he wanted to learn more about the Bible. So he went to a rabbinical, uh, Jewish school in Israel. Um, he has a master's and doctorate in divinity. He goes over there. They look at all of his degrees and they say, yep, we're going to put you in the freshman high school Bible class. Um, and he quickly realized that those kids that were 14 years old knew the Bible better than he did. Um, but what he talks about is if you take God and this is, this, this has changed. If, if you view a lot of church or Bible stories through this lens, it will really shift things for you. But he talks about if you if you attribute everything that Jesus did that we read about in the Bible to him being God. So we we believe he was fully God and fully man, which means we fully can't wrap our heads around that because that doesn't exist in our world. But so with faith, we believe that he was fully God, fully man. If we attribute everything that Jesus did in his ministry to the fully God side, there's no way that I can say I can be like that. But if you stop for a minute and say, what if he did all of that is the fully man part? Then then I can't not say that I can be like that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, it's just interesting to me as, as you read through, because one of my favorite things that I have ever, one of the favorite stories from the Bible is when, <clears throat> you know, he was teaching and they brought the, the woman before him that was an adulteress. And you basically... The, the the way that it's written, they're basically painting him into a picture or uh, painting him into a corner, corner. right? Um, painting him into a picture. Wow, like the Last Supper. Um, <laughs> but anyway, painting him into a corner to where, like, basically, if he made this decision this way, he was damned. If he made this decision this way, he was damned. And then, you know, my brain has always wondered, what did he kneel down and write in the sand? Like, I always wondered, like, you know, idiots or you know something. <laughs> you know, like, I doubt that was it. But you know, I, I've, I've always like, I just like that's like a question that I have that I've asked. I'm like, hey, whenever I get you know up there, can you tell me what you wrote in the sand? I'm curious. But you know, to and then the most absolute elegant solution to that problem of you know he who is without sin let you let them cast the first stone, mm-hmm. and then everybody just kind of slowly goes, oh yeah, and then leaves. Like he did not have to make a decision, and like. That to me is one of thousands of things I could do to illustrate, you know, my faith and why I believe. But it was just like my brain, my my manly brain couldn't come up with those solutions. But it's like as I start to venture through life more, I'm starting to kind of navigate things like that a little bit better. I probably wouldn't have as eloquent, elegantly with the the, the thought of death. I mean, because he knew that that was on the doorstep. Right. Um, and knowing that that pressure was there again, being fully man, cause he was even kind of praying, you know, the, Hey God, are, are you, are you, or father, are you sure you want me to do this? Like, you know, right. towards the end there. And so, uh, you know, under that pressure of making that decision and, and making it with those, like, that's the, you know, the fully God, fully man side that you're thinking about of just, 
you know, making those decisions under that pressure and everything mm-hmm. like that. And, and I yeah. could go into many other things that, that yeah. help illustrate that. And but. just to add to that, David mentioned Ray Vanderland. If you want to read a very interesting book that will help you better understand the Old Testament side of the Bible and the way that those traditions and, and stories feed into the New Testament and are become applicable today, he has a book called Echoes of His Presence. And I highly recommend the book because he, like I say, he, it's a, call it a historical fiction. It's fictionalized stories of what could have happened in different parts of Jewish society that help you better understand the Bible. And it will really, um, I, I, for most people, I believe it will really drive your faith to a new place because you begin to understand things that are, Western culture does not comprehend. We don't have the words for it. We don't have the experience for it. For that old world Middle Eastern society, we just don't understand what some of those things mean. And so he brings those things alive and shows why they're so important to us even today in helping understand the Bible. So again, echoes of his presence is you, you cannot – uh, you know, like I say, rush to Amazon or wherever you want to get your books, but Echoes of His Presence by Ray Vanderland. It will, it will change the way you look at your Bible and the different stories that you, it will bring things alive in a new way. Okay. Um, anybody else, anything else to add there? Um, no, that's, that's. Well, and I think, I think the other thing kind of where David was talking about where if you don't have that experience of a, of a good father, what that, I think the other side of that, and you, it's funny that you mentioned the, the Pharisees and Sadducees bringing the woman caught in adultery. I think that's a part of where the collective American church has failed is we've been more interested in wanting to throw rocks at sinners than show them the love and the grace that we've been shown. We've become, we've become too much yeah. like the, the, the guy in the debtor's prison that wants to go <laughs> throw the guy that owed him $10 yes. in prison when he's been forgiven, when he's been forgiven of his. so much. Yeah. And, and, we act like those people too many times in that we want to throw the stones and we want to point out all their failings and, and, you know, the, meanwhile, the telephone pole sticking out of our eye because, <laughs> um, we, we, you know, and, and so, like I say, I think as a, as a collective American church overall, we've become too interested in politics and, um, Trying to say that this candidate or that candidate or this this issue or that issue, yeah, they're going to save the world. The, no, yeah, that's no, not the way that works. It's yeah. not. That's not what my Bible tells me. Yep, right. You know, and so I, I really think you know it goes back to David mentioned it, and it stood out for me as well. Is that Dad had always said, "Look, you know, we've raised you in an AG church because I feel like there are sixteen fundamental truths aligned to how I see." the Bible and, and, and faith, but that isn't mean that, you know, they didn't, those 16 truths didn't come down on the third set of tablets with Moses with the 10 commandments, you know, they're, they're biblical and they're strong and they're well rationed, but they're not definitive. They're not the only Bible believing church. And so that, um, that had, has always resonated with me and that, you know, um, and all the years and being moved around by the military and stuff, you know, one church I, I, we sat in and, um, we were getting, we had filled out our, our visitor card and <laughs> we got to the end of the service and we were about halfway through and I was ready to walk out and I just, cause there had not been a scripture mentioned. 
um, I don't know exactly what the guy was teaching, but he was talking about ghost stories and, and stuff. And he had actually had a, uh, a, a messianic Jew speak who spoke more about scriptures than he did in his, in five minutes than he did in his entire sermon. But I was like, this is not a Bible teaching church. I will not be back. I literally shredded my visitor card because I didn't want to hear from him. And so I think the church needs to go back to the Bible and that's where the truth is found. And, um, and start by looking at ourselves and going, am I living what this says? Because if I'm not, I only believe the parts that I'm following. Well, and I think there have been some interesting, throughout human existence, interesting twists and translations to the word of God of like, well, I think it means this, you know? And so, you know, I've been having that conversation with another gentleman where he was talking about a book and how, like he's he, like he's for um like you know gay marriage things like that inside the church and he's saying well but you know they've been the scripture been twisted to say this and mean this and that and and, and I don't wholly uh, I don't I don't agree with him but we can still talk we can still mm-hmm. chat and have a conversation as men and we we've kind of got that we agree to disagree but one thing I will say that I've said on the podcast before was this last 4th of July in Sterling there was a pride float that was in it and, um, of course, you know, uh, you've got very, very conservative Sterling, Kansas, where there's like what nine, nine churches in that one square mile town. <laughs> and it's worse um, than Abilene. And, and, <laughs> or better. And how that scorecard works. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there's a, that piece of scripture that says, um, you know, uh, unless like, unless crisis or unless God's with the, the town, the, the, Guards labor in vain. I, I really butchered that piece of scripture, but um, I definitely don't feel like I labor in vain in that town for sure. Uh, but anyway, so as a result of that, that pride float, of course, there was a lot of outrage. But on the flip side of the coin, there was a a, a church that was on where the staging area, I'm not going to mention who, there was a church on that staging area where all people would normally park and do their thing. And well, because the American Legion had allowed them to have that pride float in there, they said, you're not allowed to park in nobody, period. Nobody's allowed in our parking lot. Hmm. And I talked about, I was, I was talking with Pastor Wayne and I know I, you and I talked very briefly on it because it was just kind of starting to come around that that stuff was starting in, um, hot and heavy in, in the church. And I told Pastor Wayne, I said, <clears throat> what an absolutely tremendous missed opportunity. You know, me personally, um, and again, feel free to disagree, is I would be like, is there any way you could put that pride float in the parking lot of my church? Like, I want them to be the ones that are in our church parking lot staging there. And then I would have the people of the church out there talking to them. And not in the, like, not the Westboro Baptist Church gays are going to hell signs. That's right. not what I'm talking about. Right. But just going out there and showing them the love and the grace and not saying you know, not putting a pride flag on the wall and saying that we'll come in here and we'll do, but, but you're further pushing those people away and cementing that your God is not capable of anything. That when you push them away like that, and, and again, not saying that you're enabling them or that you agree with them, but, but they are loved and Christ still died for them regardless, knowing full well that they were going to be going through that. And I just thought that was an insanely, tremendous missed opportunity for that church to do outreach mm-hmm. and and even if you got one of those people to kind of go whoa like wait a minute like because we had a guy on here that that was 
in our church. He went through the whole transitionary process, and he says, I have to look at my body every day, and it's a reminder of what I did to myself. And he was talking about he just never felt like he belonged until he found Christ, and that felt that filled that hole of belonging. And I'm like, if you got one of those people that just felt like they belong somewhere and then you could get them and then you could get Christ to them and then they could change their, like, that's, that's what we're looking for. That's what we should be doing. And so, uh, that's just what I feel is like on that same thought of what you were talking about, you know, the grace and the, like looking at ourselves, you know, we're, we're doing the same thing as like what Christ was telling the Pharisees. We're being a pit of vipers. No, no, no wonder nobody wants to come to church or wants to be a part of what we have going well, on. Well, bec- because unfortunately, you know, dad mentioned some of the divorce stats. There's no difference on the divorce stats inside the church than there is outside for the most part at this point. I mean, maybe isolated churches, but across the whole, we've become a reflection of society. And, and so people look at us and go, well, there's no difference there. But what, what, what would be different if people looked at a church and saw that divorces weren't occurring. You know, Dad mentioned the the counseling ministry at our church. It's one of the reasons why it's a really impressive ministry is, you know, that's one of the areas where they're really trying to help families is in marital counseling that, hey, what 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 are churches doing to sow into marriages to help, you know, beyond just the men getting together and the women getting together? What are, what are you doing to help in that realm that where people need some help? Because guess what? We don't all have all the answers. And what I will tell you from our own experiences, each of us in different ways, sometimes some of the greatest hurts and sufferings that we go through become some of our greatest opportunities for future ministry. 110% for sure. I would agree with that. You look deep in thought over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's as far as it goes. <laughs> he looks it. That doesn't oh, say, and you also look like that tiredness is hitting you like a ton of bricks too. But, um, I, you know, and that's one thing that has always been, uh, I shouldn't say always after he, mentored to me and then also mentored to Andrea and I, um, counseled, whatever, you know, whatever word you want to throw there. That has just been a passion of mine because it was just like an absolute game changer of someone that was willing to give love and grace and be like, you're forgiven. You still like have a place here. You still belong, but also tell you, you are screwing up and here's how, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I took a young man here in town under my wing and I thought for sure that he was gone. The last time that I saw him on Zoom when he was in a detention center, um, he, he just had darkness in his eyes. That's just the best way I can explain it. Um, I just, I didn't see the young man there anymore. And, you know, I, I kind of told his mom that, and she was obviously very disconcerted to hear that because I'd been mentoring to him for quite a while. And it seems so far, knock on wood, that he's kind of come out on the other side of that. And and I think a little bit of that was the concoction of drugs that he tried. He kind of went, whew, that sucked. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. But that that mentoring and that that the just I think that's good. I think that you're you're so right there because you know what my mentoring for my marriage was? He was an interim pastor. A struggle or a recovering alcoholic recovery was not going well because he showed up to our service drunk and was calling my wife by the wrong name as we were walking down the aisle to start the service. But it was stories about what he'd done 
and like the, the marriages that he'd done and the things that he'd done. Like he never told us what it was that Christ had for us in, in a marriage or God had for us in a marriage. You know, it never was anything like that at all. And, and I will tell you, our marriage struggled as a result of that. We did not have good footing. We do now. And do we still argue for sure? Do we still disagree for sure? But I will tell you after meeting with Ken, you know, sometimes it would be the, you know, take the ring off, you know, put it down on the table and like that kind of thing and, you know, throw out the divorce. And I just finally was like, that word is off the table. Like it's not, it's not negotiable. It's never going to happen ever. So like whatever it is, we're going to work through it. And that, that's just like, just know that like, that's, we, we need to be at least, that's where we need to build our foundation on. Like that, that's, that's where we end. And that's where the buck stops. So one of the things I think is very important, you mentioned, you know, as a, as a Christian father and, and husband is, is important things is being able to be real with your kids too. I mean, as David said, we had a phenomenal father, not perfect, but phenomenal. And, but we often, he would come back and, you know, Hey guys, I, I goofed up. I apologize. Like you can't be too big to admit that. And so I've tried to live that where, there have been times that I have done wrong by my wife and snapping at her in front of our daughter. And I have had to ask her forgiveness and then ask my daughter to forgive me to say, Hey, look, that's not how I should have treated your mom. That's not how I would want you to be treated. Um, you know, and I'm sorry you saw that or, um, or when we've done something where maybe we've ended up realize that what we did was not right for our daughter at that moment. And so we've gone to her and asked for forgiveness. And that's, you have to be big enough that as, you know, yes, I have the authority in the relationship, but that doesn't mean that I have, um, you know, the right to not ever admit my own error. And so it's, I think that's just been very healthy to do that where you go to your children potentially at times and have to ask their forgiveness and say, Hey, you know, guys, I, I was wrong. Please, please forgive me, you know? And, and, and when you can do that and your kids see that, that leadership and, and authority can still make a mistake, but that it's strong enough to come and say, Hey, I made a mistake. Please forgive me. I think it, it again, goes further to advance their faith. I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Uh, lots of times, mm -hmm. lots of times. I think the flip side of that too, that, that I hear often is, um, people that get into relationships and when things happen and, and times get difficult and they, and they tr try to fall back on what they were taught or what they were, um, shown as they were growing up. And I, I I've got a couple friends that they're like, I never saw my parents fight. Like they never saw any of that and that all happened. It obviously was happening, but it was happening away from the kids and to an insulated point where they had an unrealistic expectation oh, yeah. of what life was going to look like when you live every day. It's going to be perfection. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it, it's just not, it's not, it, that's not realistic either. And so having those, you know, that, that, an actual reality check of this, this is what it looks like when two human beings are living together. Yeah. And, and again, the, the not having divorce is an option. I think, um, the different times that Allison and I have, have had difficult moments, 
that's always been in the back of both of our minds that that well it's just easy it's comfortable yeah, it's easy yeah like, exactly. i don't want to deal with this pain yeah you know? yeah um and so that, that having that like you said as a foundation i mean that's a that is a a great start and um and not to say that you know people that have been through divorce and and that's the other thing when you look at how the church viewed divorce 50 60 70 mm-hmm. years ago yeah. um it it has shifted um and the, the the concepts of you know what what can happen after someone was divorced um i think it's in a much better place now than you know holding tightly to a ancient tradition well and i i also think when it comes to marriage that you know we we often paint these pictures for our kids that say okay finish high school which i 100% i'm okay with that go to college get a job make all this money and then you know now that you've kind of like checked these boxes like then get married and and me personally i feel that that's not always the most admirable advice because I think you truly get a bond with someone. Like I was telling Ken earlier, you and uh, Tony, right, that were in the woodlot. Yeah. Uh, no, I was telling Tony this. You guys every Thursday got together and labored together and went through that hard stuff together, and you you created a bond that today that he he showed up. Yeah. You know, he was there, and th- you, through that through that labor and through that you know tough times. And in the heat and those kind of things, probably in the cold too, I would imagine, <laughs> you know, you guys, you guys bonded over that. Well, I think the same thing happens in relationships. And this isn't me saying to kids, go out and get pregnant at 14 and get married. That's not what I'm saying. But to say, get, get, say, say you check all these boxes and you have all these things that are mine, right? And now you're comfortable. And then you get with somebody and now you, you start to get these hard times. Now you're, you're, it's, it's, you're, you're comfortable. You've got all your own stuff. You got your own job. It's, it's easier to just, okay, well, let's just, let's just part ways. You got your thing. Yeah. I got my thing. And, you know, let's keep our bills separate, whatever. Um, whereas if you, you know, just find someone that you love and that, that is, is godly and then go through those tough times with them and stick through them in those tough times and you will have an unbreakable bond. That at, when Satan is prowling like a lion, he will not be, you know, there, there'll be nothing to devour because you're covered by the full armor of God. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I used the illustration with you and Andrea when I was meeting with you guys and I would draw a wheel like a bicycle wheel. And I said, if God is at the center and each of, each of you is a spoke, the closer that spoke gets to the center, the closer it gets to the other spoke. And it's that way in our lives. The closer as an individual I get to God and the closer my wife gets to God, the closer we get together. And the problem creates is is if a believer marries a non-believer and there's this big gap to start with, or sometimes some people will grow. And, and you know, it's it's a process. Our, our Christian growth is a process. And, and sometimes you're growing a lot and, and sometimes... Seems like you're you're sitting still, but you keep growing towards that mark. What did Paul say? I press on toward the mark of the high calling of Christ. I'm not going to get there, but I'm going to keep I'm going to keep pressing towards that mark. Um, you know, Mike ran cross country and Maddie runs cross country, so part of that mark is I, I want to set a faster time. I want to 
you know, I, I want to Im- improve what I'm doing. You're doing the same thing with, with what you've been doing with your lifting and stuff. And, and the know, opposite David, of running long distance. <laughs> well, I want to see, I want to see Michael go out and run cross country right now. <laughs> I mean, probably run further than you think. <laughs> I, I literally have the lawn chairs in the back of my truck right now. All we got to do is go get some popcorn. <laughs> yeah. It'll but, take me more than the 35 minutes that it took me the first time I ever ran a cross-country race. Yeah, it'd well, take, it'd take and, me 35 and, minutes just to get the breath to go do it. Well, I got to see Maddie run two weeks ago, and and they got done, and, and she and, I'm, and Mike had gotten in the, into the truck to go home. <coughs> and I said to her, I said, well, Maddie, if it's any consolation, if I were trying to run that, I still wouldn't have finished the first lap. <laughs> and she goes, thanks, my dad. <laughs> I don't think it was any consolation, you know. Uh, but again, you know, it's, we've, we've quit looking at, a, at marriage as what it is. No, number one, marriage was designed by God. He designed it. He said, I made them male and female. For the man, unlike when David got married, for the man to... <laughs> True story. So we're standing up doing our vows, and Brian Folden, if you ever hear this, I'm calling you out. <laughs> and we still laugh about it every time I see him. He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his wife and be... I mean, he will leave his father and mother. No, he said he will leave his wife and cleave to his mother and father. And then he stopped and the whole congregation starts to giggle. And Brian like, okay, I got to try this again. But, but I might have been a little distracted. Yeah, a little. But, but God designed this thing. He said this is what it is. And, and when you look at what God did, he said this is a covenant of marriage. Now, covenants cannot be broken. Covenants can only be fulfilled. That's why when Christ came, he says, you think I came to destroy the law? I didn't. I came to fulfill it. You've had this law for all these thousands of years. Nobody's ever fulfilled it. I'm here and I fulfilled it. Now, that ends that covenant. Now we're starting a new covenant that's in my blood. And and, and so so we can, we're can maintain that. But marriage was to be a covenant. The marriage covenant used to be, we said, till death do us part. Most people don't want that in there anymore. Yeah. Or don't want those traditional vows at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, matter of fact, before I left, before I resigned, it was getting to the point that we were having such a struggle because of gays wanting to be married in the church. And how do we protect the church from being sued? Like we've seen bakers and, mm-hmm. and photographers. And, and how do we, how do we protect the sanctity of this thing. And I was almost to the point of going, I'm not going to do any weddings. I'll do funerals because nobody ever comes back and complains. But <laughs> um, but marriages were just getting harder and harder. And, and when you look at it, marriage was designed by God. It was originally a religious ceremony. And then at some point the state said, darn, we're missing out on a good chance to make some money off yeah, these people. Right. So you have to buy a license from us in order to do this. Well, okay, so what I've told people, uh, my, my wife's daughter uh, was looking at marrying this guy, and she said, can Ken do our, our wedding? And I said, no, I've resigned my credentials. I said, but what I can do is this. You guys can go and get married by a justice of the peace, so you're legally married. 
I can then put a religious ceremony together and I'll do a religious ceremony for you. And so I think for those churches that are truly Bible believing, they're going to hold on to that. And, and, and they're, they're protecting themselves in, in, in different ways. You've got to be a member of the church. You've got to be, you know, um, so that they can protect the church and say, this is an institution designed by God and we're going to keep it that way. And, and so again, and you were right when you were talking earlier about, you know, you've got to be a Christian man. There's no way you can be a Christian husband if you're not a Christian man. And if you're, if you're a Christian man and then a Christian husband, then that's going to help you when you become a Christian father. Now, for those guys that get married, become husbands, and then become fathers, and they're not Christians, then when they do finally become Christian, it's not just, boom, now I'm automatically a Christian husband and a Christian father. No, you're starting at ground zero. And again, we used to tell the guys in the prison, it's a process. Stay in the process. The more I, I when I accepted Christ as a senior in high school at a, at a, a lay witness mission in the Methodist church. The guy that was leading it said the greatest thing to me that anybody could have said. He said, you're accepting Christ as your savior. You are committing as much as you know and understand of yourself to as much as you know and understand of Christ. Too long the church said, oh, salvation's a done deal. You got it. You're, you're in. You're in. Here's your ticket. And no, that's the starting point. That is the starting point. And from there you continue. It's a process. And, and so you stay in that process. Uh, and so the, the, the more of a Christian man I become, the more of a Christian husband I become. And the more of a Christian husband I become, the more of a Christian father I become. And so I stay at it. I keep working at it. At times I fail. Yeah. And you go and you say, hey, I blew this. I was wrong. You know, and, and then you keep, you keep building, you keep trying. If the Apostle Paul that wrote the majority of the New Testament said, the things I want to do, I don't want to do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do. Who can save me from this wretched man I am? Okay, now, that doesn't mean, oh, okay, then I can go out and do anything wrong I want to. No, Paul said, I keep pushing, I keep striving. That's the way I want to go. I don't want to keep going back this way. When I fall down, I pick myself up. And I keep going. And, and so I think that's, again, where the church has done a big disservice because it's been a, oh, well, here, you say this sinner's prayer, which, by the way, can be found nowhere in the Scripture. <laughs> you say this prayer, and that fixes everything. No. If I've messed up, I'm still going to have to deal with things. Well, and not only that, but just saying the words is not good, right? Like, you can know all the Scriptures you want by by you know, memorization, my brain's starting to not work. It's a fairly common occurrence more so right now, but do saying the words is not the important part because there's nothing you can hide from Christ. There's nothing you yeah. can hide there. He knows your heart. He knows are you, whether you're truly repentant or if you're just giving lip service to, to look good to those around you. Yeah. And, and that's another thing that's interesting to me. It's like the whole, you know, when you give basically, um, you know, you're giving and not letting anyone else know, you know, it, it's all about this internal change, the growth, the, 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 the growing closer to the center of the hub that as the spoke, you know, however you want to illustrate that <clears throat> it's more about 
your inner change and what God sees changing inside of you than it is what you're doing out here. Because I, I like, for instance, Rob Ross is a guy that was at the church, real tall guy, white hair, really stoic, deep voice teacher, a man that I greatly respect. You will never hear him talk about how I gave this, this check this one time, or I did this, or I did that ever. He just exudes like stoicism and confidence and just people just gravitate. And I think that's kind of the litmus test, at least for me, of like if you're, if you're doing it right, of, you know, are, are people kind of gravitating towards you? And are, and then that means like you're maybe like living that life the right way and you're showing it and, and doing it. Or I should just say you're doing it more than you're showing it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's where we're, we miss the mark a lot too. Um, is, Hey, I went to church today. <clears throat> I have the 25 bars on my shirt that say that I had perfect Sunday school attendance. Um, but then we don't live it. And like Chad Murphy told me that one time when he went to uh, a church over in Lyons that, he was there and these people were saying, patting him on the back, hey, good thing you're here. I know what you're like. And he was like, I just caught you last night in your car with another woman who was not your wife. So like, you know, so what are you talking about? You know, so I think that's where we're missing the mark on a lot of those things. Um, and I know we can continue going on for forever on <laughs> yeah. that, but yeah, I think, uh, this, this, so, so, Attending a, a Church of Christ, coming from a Assembly of God background, um, just um, the Church of Christ has historically put all of their um, your brain stopping the work for yes. lack of sleep now too. Uh, you might want to edit this long nope. pregnant pause. Nope, <laughs> nope, not happening. They put all their eggs in the basket. Of baptism. Like, so some churches have the sinner's prayer. The Church of Christ is historically full immersion with a spotter to make sure the entire body breaks the plane of water. Everything gets wet. I mean, there's some ridiculous stories that are out there that I've heard. Um, but... Ephesians says, you are saved by God's grace because of your faith. Luke says, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. We live by faith, not by sight. It's the faith part of it. And that's what, you know, when I've gotten into these conversations with people and I'm like, you know, that's just water. We drain it like three times a week. <laughs> it's, it's just and, water. And your dad said it best. You go down a wet or go down a dry center, come up a wet, wet center. center. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Know? And so the same with, with a, there's no magic in the words. It's, it is, it is a heart decision that then you change and just like the, uh, the, you're the guy that led you to Christ. Um, you, you make that decision knowing everything you know at that moment. What you don't get to know is the rest of your story in that moment and th- the struggles that are, headed your way and and the things that you're going to face and and there's a reason for that is because that's you know fighting tomorrow's battles with today's faith and so what we really have to have is faith enough to say today 
God, give me what I can, what I need to get through today and not worry about tomorrow or the Working the day. process, not the outcome. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Well, we've been going at this for almost two hours. Can you believe that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, right about now is kind of what we've noticed is where people kind of start to trail off in, in the listening part. And I know that, gentlemen, this has been phenomenal, like an absolutely <laughs> phenomenal conversation. And I, I want to sit here and have it for two more hours. Uh, you maybe not so much, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, Oh, now I got you. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, is there anything anybody else wants to like to add or to think like, anything that hasn't been brought to the table here? Any other notes you may have made or anything like that that didn't get addressed while we were doing this kind of thing? I would just like to say I, I really appreciate you wanting to do this with us. Um, and, and the, the heart that you have for doing this and, and then for, for putting this together and, and, and putting it out there. And I, I guess, um, and this is probably going to slay all of us, but when COVID hit and we had to stop meeting as a church and you were coming in and, and we were doing it on Facebook and we did it for like two Sundays and then uh, Marlene was sick uh, the next Sunday and then she passed away. And I did Easter, and it was just the two of us in the building. And, uh, you know, it it was just interesting. Uh, I mean, you and I were both there, and and I, I, I told you later the thing that, that helped me with that was the fact that the week before she'd been sick, so she wasn't over at the sound booth because I could see her because of my peripheral vision, I could always see her. And because she hadn't been there the week before, then on that Easter, when I, and I stepped up to do that Easter message, um, it was, I was able to do that because of that. And because you were sitting there going, you got this, you can, you know. I remember us having the conversation of, are you, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. Are you sure you're ready for this? And you're like, well, I, I got to do this. Like, and, a, well, not, and, not in the sense of like, I'm going like, to obligation. Yeah. Not an obligation, yeah. but like, like that, that's part of my process of grieving and yeah. healing. Well, yeah. and I had gotten a phone call on Saturday from Ken Hathaway, who worked with us on freedom challenge, had, was a pastor. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I'm working on my message for tomorrow. And he said, you're preaching tomorrow. And I said, yeah. He said, I don't think I could do that. And I remember saying to him, brother Hathaway, it's resurrection Sunday. If I don't preach, Death wins. Yeah. I'm not going to let death win. Now, I had talked to him and said, you bring the stuff with you that you taught (laughs) in Israel. Because I know I can preach Easter. I know I can't preach the next Sunday. I can't. I I knew then that I could do Easter. I I can do Resurrection Sunday because I know where she is. I can't do the next Sunday. I, I won't I won't have it in me. I won't be able to. And so he brought his stuff and he came over and his little brother refused to come to church because his brother was speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Is that not, not how you're remembering that? No, I think uh, he was uh, elbows deep in a remodel at that point, yeah, no, as I, I recall. Yeah, there you go. 
<laughs> was that was that before or after when your radiator broke? Was that yeah, same trip. It was on that, that same was that trip. trip. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, because yeah. you, you did you come up like you're basically like in the middle of that when you came up, weren't you? Or did you just finish it or something? No, it blew south of Wichita. Uh, the first uh, the first uh, turnpike stop there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Man, better there than yeah and somewhere in deep it, Oklahoma. Or nursed something. it into uh, Winfield, the Walmart, and um, bought. 15 gallons of water? 15 gallons of water, and she's like, sorry, we can only sell five gallons of water per person. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, so I need to walk out and walk back in three times? Oh, okay, I'll just sell it (laughs) (laughs) Well, before before we wrap this up, um, one thing I want to say is – I just want to say, they said you weren't perfect. You've always been perfect to me. The next time you go to draft a will, just remember that. Um, but, but for real, um, you know, before we log off, I just want to say it here and now, and you guys know it, but I want to say it publicly. Like there is more to family than blood and you all are my family. Absolutely. And I love you guys love more than I could possibly put into words. And I'm humbled that you're here. So glad we got to do this. And Mike said it today earlier too, that it was awesome for us to know that you were a phone call away too. Um, that I was eight and a half hours away. He's two days drive away, but to know that, that you were here, not only their time, um, uh, before mom passed away, but then after, um, that, that was a huge, a huge blessing to Well, especially I. during Rona when you guys were trying to find a place to stay. Yeah. And like Airbnb was shut down and right. everything and I was able to make a few phone calls. And, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, be no. able to get that done was was helpful as well. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just humbled by God bringing you guys into my life and I can't imagine any 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 men better. So just thanks for joining me and thanks for sharing everything. And with that being said, I think we'll kind of wrap it up. And so everyone, thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to the Higher Points podcast. Just uh, humbled as usual that you've chosen to take the time to sit here and join in with us. Please leave us a rating, a review, a comment. Just share it on your story. Just get the message out here, and I'll just I'll just uh, parrot Ken. If we can help one person get one step closer to Christ with this podcast, this podcast has been worth its weight in gold. Please just share it to your story. Share it with anyone that you think may benefit from it. You can check us out on Facebook at the Higher Points Podcast, uh, on Instagram at the Higher Points, and our website is www.thehigherpoints.com. We are renting out the podcast studio, so if you want to come in, record your own podcast or record some music, uh, we've definitely got plenty of auxiliary ports. We got one, two, three, four of them that you can use to plug in different um, different things that you want to do that you want to record. You can check out our contact page on the website and you can get with us on how to uh, rent out the podcast studio. We'll catch up with you guys next time. 